uh, Professor Geldof, could you briefly explain to us what determined you to write a book which addresses the relationship between Christian worship and secularism? I think that um, that it had been on my mind uh, for almost a decade, that ever since I started teaching liturgy and sacraments, that the exchange and the interactions with contemporary cultures has always been a matter of reflection. And after several years, I, I, I realized that I had written several things about it, that I had given talks about that particular problem, and that actually motivated me to finally put together some of the research that I had done into a book. What makes this book unique in the field of uh, liturgical studies? That's rather a question for the reception of the book. However, how I see it is that the book directly addresses um, secularism and the tension between liturgy. And I have seen many maneuvers, both among theologians and among church leaders, to avoid the conversation. That they will rather remain in the world of the beauty of the liturgy and then be silent about contemporary culture, or else that the culture and the dialogue with culture and and uh, is the only thing, and then forget about liturgy. So I, well, what I try to do is... Um, an attempt at bringing these together and say, look, you're not each other's enemies. That, 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 that's one of the basic messages that I, want to, uh, that I want to convey. Professor, you studied philosophy and systematic theology before becoming a liturgical theologian. How do you think these backgrounds have influenced you, helped you in writing this book? That they have, they have greatly helped me to, 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 to write this book. So the, a background in, in, in philosophy and, and systematic, uh, systematic theology. It's true that I do not have the typical training of a liturgical scholar or a liturgical scientist, but I've always tried in my work to make that disadvantage or to turn that disadvantage into an advantage so as to make liturgy truly systematic discipline and to make liturgy a truly philosophical reality. That's what I've always uh, um, tried to develop. However, those philosophers and those theologians that I dealt with, for instance, for my master thesis and for my doctoral thesis, do not appear in this book. Mm -hmm. So I worked on German idealism and German romanticism, but that is actually by no means the focus of, of this book. At the background and for the development of my thinking, especially this romantic uh, uh, kind of thinking, continues to play a dominant role, but not directly. The philosophers that are most prominent in, in, in the book are um, Louis Dupré and Giorgio Agamben. Mm -hmm. yeah. Those are contemporary th philosophers yeah. and uh, not classical or, 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 or philosophers from the past. I think an average student of theology may find it difficult to relate liturgy and philosophy. The philosophy of times may be far removed from the idea of Christian liturgy and religiosity. How will you recommend the relation between philosophy and liturgy to students of theology? I think that philosophy can be of great help to understand and to explain what Christian faith, Christian practices, liturgical practices in particular, are all about. Because they do not offer only food for one's religious identity, 
they open up a whole world of thinking of and of being in the world. And I think that in as much as liturgy is downplayed and being neglected and being looked at as just something practical, we will miss many opportunities to sound the, the, the real truth, beauty and goodness of the Christian faith. The first part of your book is entitled Positioning the Liturgy in the World, while the second part of the same book is entitled positioning the world in the liturgy. What do you consider to be the task and the future of Christian worship in a secular context? I think that the task is immense. Um, and I also think that we must not evaluate the liturgy with evaluation standards of, of, of success. In, in, in the way we, we usually think about something successful. And I think that that as such is, is an immense gift of, of liturgy to, 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 to secular culture. Secular culture, there is so much competition, there is so much striving for success, personal success, financial success, success in family, whatever that may mean. I think that liturgy cannot, should not, be measured by any such standard. What I mean with positioning, because I use the, the positioning the world in the liturgy, but also positioning the liturgy in the world, is that there is a position, first of all. It is possible to engage with the world through liturgy, and it is possible to engage with the liturgy through the world. They're not diametrically opposed. I think that it is a false presumption to try to protect liturgy from secular influences, and I think it is equally mistaken to protect the world from a liturgical influence. The liturgy is good for the world, and the world is good for the liturgy. So I think that by using this word to position, um, I, w I think I want to defend an, an an embedding of the one in the other and of the other in the one. And a metaphor that may help here is the one of a fortress. So a fortress um, and an occupation of a fortress. Uh, that's not how I imagine the liturgy, the liturgy's position in the modern world, whereby there is enough supplies to to hold for a while. In the, in the end, the, if there is one thing that we know about the history of fortresses, no one was eternal. And I think liturgy is, is, is for all times. So at some point you will have to come out, you will have to negotiate, greet the world, greet what is outside, and vice versa. I also think that the, the world, it, it is an illusion to, to have a world where liturgy as an expression of, of the Christian faith is held completely outside of the wall. At some point there will be people inside the walls who, who feel a sprinkle of, of beauty and truth and who, who may remember something, who may desire something. And that's, I think, where these connections are, that are intrinsic and that they are prior to any initiative that, that, you, may that you may take or that our consciousness can, can grasp. But I found it very important to position liturgy in the world and to position the world in liturgy to fundamentally escape that idea of a fortress. You would agree that there is this air of indifference with matters in liturgy or in kind of religiosity in the present modern culture. Do you think that liturgical theology will be able to address this and appeal to people to raise above this indifference? How do you think of a rehabilitation or return of the liturgical disposition 
among people of our times. That I think, and we don't need to fool ourselves, that will not go automatically. Mm. And, and the question is, at a deeper level, whether at all that has ever been gone automatically. It's true that certain liturgical practices of Christians for quite a while in some parts of the world has been a kind of, has been almost naturally interwoven with, with cultural and societal practices. But whether that was a good thing or not, that's very difficult to say. And, and um, I think that it is not a good thing that liturgy coincides with culture. Because I don't think that the gospel can ever coincide with any human group or any human, uh, any human society. There will always be a need for evangelization and for mission. And liturgy is the most powerful engine, and, uh, and it's also a kind of, of, of a fulfillment. Liturgy is the source and the summit. And sources and summits, for anyone who does sports, will know that they will realize that this is difficult to, to, to reach those heights. The most important thing that the liturgy can offer to the world is just to continue. To continue to offer and to celebrate good liturgies and not thinking about success or not thinking about uh, attractivity. Uh, the liturgy can do its own work, but the liturgy can not do that on its own. And I think in our life of faith, there's other things um, that are not constrained to liturgy, yet inspired by liturgy, um, that, that must help here. And, and I'm thinking of, of catechesis, of course. I'm thinking here also of, of personal testimonies of people, uh, of radiating the joy of the gospel, of being always uh, prepared to, to account for, for the joy that you're living from. I think that's biblical language, of course, to, to show that that is really important. So I think that in addition to all the programs and all the structures that we have, that is really key to, to be inspired and to show that you're inspired by, by someone whom, whom you meet in and, through, uh, in and through liturgical celebrations. So the automatic thing, the, 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 the automatism to go from, from culture to liturgy, from liturgy to culture, it's probably an illusion that it has ever functioned perfectly. And it should not work perfectly. And the most important thing, I think, is that liturgy is, is as a fact, is continued to be celebrated and is continued to invite people. Because liturgy has to be understood fundamentally as a participation. And that participation is there, is standing. It is, it, it, the invitation to participate is open to anyone, at any time. Anyone, at any time, can join. That's that. That's the beauty of it. No matter how secular or how, uh, or, or regardless of how you um, of how you describe and what categories, categories and classifications that you use to describe uh, the world in which we live and the culture in which we live. This book is written by a Roman Catholic theologian and liturgist who activates 
in Western Europe. What is the relevance of your book outside the Roman Catholic Church and outside Western Europe? Well, that again is, is, a, is a difficult question uh, and maybe should be responded by other people. But I, I, I truly think that there is something universal in and through liturgy. And what I mean by that are, of course, not the, the, the customs in which liturgy itself manifests itself. And, um, but I think that, just to take that one example of, of, of the Sunday Eucharist in, 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 in the Roman Catholic Church that celebrates the liturgy according to the, the Roman rite, that is a universal practice in the sense that it is being done uh, uh, everywhere in the world, and that it does so in hyper-diverse contexts. It does so in very small communities of minorities, almost in, in, in clandestine contexts. It also happens in big cathedrals with a whole crowd. It happens in small monastic communities. It happens among refugees. It happens in you can't imagine how many different contexts there are and how many different languages and how many different people are involved in it every day, every week, um, every year. That's one thing. And it is, I think that we, we need a certain sense of wonder to, to, to realize the beauty of that, to realize the, the strength, the spiritual strength of that that people whom I will never meet are taking part in the same thing as I at moments that I am not possibly able to, to do that and I can trust that. Uh, I think we need a renewed sense of wonder for the power which is in, in that universal celebration. However, when you look at how this celebration is structured, the readings that are used, the prayers that are used, there are deep connections there too with with many other Christian denominations. I think, honestly, that liturgy and lit uh, liturgical forms and liturgical celebrations have an intrinsic ecumenical potential that remains largely underestimated and also underdeveloped in, 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 theological, in theological reflection. Because there are so many painful differences in terms of sacramental theology, in terms of church documents, in terms of different interpretations of ministry, in terms of different evaluations of, of the priesthood and so forth and so forth. But the liturgy as such, a celebration in which prayers are said, in which the Bible is read, in which the Lord is met, that is something that Roman Catholics in any culture have in common with many, many other Christians, and I think it is more important to focus on that than on those painful, usually historical differences that, that are largely of a more cognitive or intellectual or structural, ecclesial kind. And I also think that there is a deep human and a deep humanizing tendency in the celebration of the Mass, an attitude of listening, an attitude of sharing, an attitude of, uh, of a prayerful attitude of, of being together, the act of coming together, uh, 
the, the, the service that sprouts forth from the Eucharist, those are all, again, very powerful, both practical and spiritual realities that can connect with people. I think, I think that, that liturgy is, is essential for Christian solidarity and Christian hospitality. And that connects, I think, with, with any human being at any time in, in any culture. And we need finer methods and finer intellectual instruments to get that message across. In other words, liturgy is exactly not the protected ritual practice of, of one group seeking for, uh, for identity in spite of other ones. It is the reverse. It is exactly that which connects with them and which should connect with them. And this does not entail any compromise with liturgical practice according to uh, the rubrics and the, the, and the official liturgical books. Can you comment something on the conversation partners that you have in this task of liturgical theology? Well, the kind of thing that I am trying to to develop are, I did not invent them, I learned them from elsewhere, so it's a good question to ask for conversation partners. I think first of all that the tradition of liturgical theology is a major source of inspiration for me and that there is a lot of what liturgical theologians in different Christian traditions say. I would not say that they align with my thinking, it's rather the reverse, that I hope that my thinking and my work uh, may correspond with their uh, fundamental intuitions about liturgy and its and, and its universal relevance. Examples of those would be uh, David Fagerberg, Alexander Schmemann, Aidan Kavanaugh, Gordon Lathrop, Don Saliers, among the most recent ones. And then earlier on in the 20th century, there was very good and groundbreaking liturgical theology being developed in, in here in Belgium, in, in with Lambert Baudouin, with Maurice Vestugiere, with uh, um, with other representatives of the 20th century liturgical movement. 